0: where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The beginning of that story in First Samuel contains a detail that I can't help but wonder about. We are told that Samuel... This young lad, who has been devoted to serve at the sanctuary at Shiloh by his mother, is sleeping somewhere in the temple complex. You would presume that he is sleeping in a dormitory reserved for those who serve in that place. But we are also told that he is sleeping in the room with a piece of temple furniture that is called an ark of Elohim, which either means the Ark of God or an Ark of Gods. Ancient Hebrew is really an amazing language and you can see the show notes for a full explanation of the strange grammar of this phrase. I think it means the latter, an Ark of Gods. Later on in the story, It is called the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh. But at this point, it just seems to be a random box dedicated to an indeterminate number of gods. Everyone has heard of what it came to be known as, the Ark of the Covenant, if only from that Indiana Jones movie. It became an object of extraordinary power it was the primary symbol of the presence of God with the people of Israel according to what it says elsewhere in the Bible the Ark was to be kept in a special chamber in the temple called the Holy of Holies God was said to be more present there than any place else on earth How holy was it? It was so holy that no one ever entered the place except one day a year, the Day of Atonement. On this day and only this day, the High Priest was to enter into the presence of the Ark only after carrying out an atoning sacrifice. But even then, they took special precautions. Before the high priest entered, the temple servants would tie a rope around his ankle, just in case God decided to strike him down. That way, they could pull his body out, and wouldn't have to wait an entire year for the next high priest to go in and remove a rotted corpse. Now, we don't actually know if that rope story was true or just a legend that spread. It's not in the Bible and comes from later tradition. But, true or not, it is certainly an indication of the kind of respect that they had for the ark and the care they took when in its presence. But, There seems to be none of that reverence or expectation in this story. The Ark seems to be simply in some random room in the temple complex, a room that also appears to be a dormitory for young Samuel, who lives there. There seems to be no indication whatsoever of any expectation that this cultic object could allow someone to have an encounter with God. They have either forgotten or they never knew that such a thing was possible. And that is why when God does speak in this story, no one has any idea what is going on. There is an origin story for the Ark in the Bible. The story of its construction is told in Exodus 37. But most scholars today believe that that account, as well as the stories of the construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness, were added to the book of Exodus relatively late by a priestly author. The story of Samuel and the Ark may be much older, and that made me wonder if this is actually an alternate origin story for this extraordinary piece of temple furniture. Well, it kind of depends on how you tell the story, and this is... Retelling the Bible. Episode 8.3 Origins of the Lost Ark. Samuel had lived at the temple at Shiloh since he was about four years old. As soon as his mother had weaned him, she had brought him here and left him. As you can imagine, it had not been easy for a child so young. He missed his family. They only came to visit about once a year. The old priest, Eli, tried to be kind, but he was not very attentive. All kinds of things went on, bad things, at the temple at Shiloh, but Eli never seemed to see any of them. He especially did not see all that his sons, Hophni and Phinehas did they were just the worst they teased samuel relentlessly and would compete with each other to see who could make the boy cry first but what they did to samuel was nothing compared to some of the other things that they got up to they extorted prime cuts of meat from the worshippers who came to sacrifice to Yahweh. It was also an open secret that they would often take the young women, who came to serve at the entrance to the sanctuary, and they would do unspeakable things with them in their chambers. Samuel saw all of this, as did many others. But Eli didn't see, or, if he did, he certainly didn't do anything about it. So Samuel, for the most part, was left to figure out his own place at the sanctuary. He wore the traditional linen garments and did his best to assist the people who came and protect them from the worst of the brothers' abuses. When he first arrived, he had to find his own place to sleep and ended up setting up a cot in one of the storage rooms. Various sacred objects that had been devoted to the gods were piled up at one end of the chamber. The biggest one was a chest made of wood and decorated with gold inlays. When he asked about it, he was told that it was a covenant box, an ark of gods. The various tribes and clans of Israel did not have any sort of a united government, each taking care of their own affairs, though they were increasingly united by their shared worship of the God Yahweh. But they had entered into covenants together, wherein they would come to each other's aid with their tribal militia when faced with external threats. These covenants had been sealed with oaths and sacrifices to their various gods. This particular chest had been created for just such a covenant ceremony. When it had been completed, the covenant partners had placed the images of their gods, their Elohim and Teraphim, into the ark as pledges that they would be faithful. The Ark had then been sent to Shiloh for safe keeping. But, if the tribes ever went to war together, they might send for it and take it to battle with them. For that reason, carrying poles had been fixed to the side of it. This strange box obviously made a big impression on the young Samuel, as he shared his sleeping quarters with it nightly. It was often the last thing he saw as he closed his eyes at night, and the first thing he saw in the mornings. Of course, its association with the gods made it a somewhat fearful object for him that is probably why it showed up frequently in his dreams, and even in his nightmares. The years went by. The older Samuel got, the more disturbed he became by the things that were going on around the sanctuary. He got to know many of the worshippers who came regularly and knew how resentful they were of the two brothers and their antics. He also formed close friendships with the young women who served at the doorposts, and they began to confide in him what it truly was that Hophni and Phineas did to them in the privacy of their chambers. The stories they told him were filled with horror, but what could a boy like Samuel do about any of it? The priests knew that he knew everything, but they didn't care Indeed, they would regularly taunt him about it. And so, over time, Samuel fell into a deep depression about his own powerlessness. One night, Samuel was up late with his duties. He finished sweeping up around the altar, filled a god's lamp with oil, leaving it burn into the night as he had been taught. When he finally retired to his bed, he fell quickly into a deep sleep. Not long after, even before the lamp of the god's had gone out. He was awakened suddenly out of a very vivid dream. He could have sworn that he had heard somebody calling him by name. The voice came, as was not unusual in his dreams, from the Ark. But as soon as he came fully awake, his logical mind tried to make sense of it all. Reckoning that the sleeping quarters of Eli, the old priest, were a little farther away in the same direction as the ark, he reasoned that he must have heard the old man calling for him in the night. Samuel often worried about Eli in those days, as he was getting quite frail. And so, now wide awake, he slipped out of bed and ran to the side of his master. But Eli was sound asleep, and quite cross with Samuel when he woke him. No, he insisted, he had not summoned the boy. He sternly sent him away. Then the same thing happened again just after Samuel drifted off to sleep, but again Eli denied calling him. It took Eli three times before he finally realized that something was going on. Like I said, Eli had a way of not seeing what should have been plain as day. But when he finally realized that Samuel was experiencing something divine in his dreams, Eli suddenly became very calm. He had known that this was going to happen sooner or later. He knew how he had failed with his sons and had been expecting his God, Yahweh, to call him on it. He now realized that the message he needed to hear was going to come through young Samuel. And so he taught the boy, if he were to hear the voice again in his dreams, that he was to respond and say, Speak, Yahweh, for your servant is listening. The voice came again the very next night, and this time Samuel was ready. In a strange place between being asleep and awake, Yahweh, the God of Eli, spoke through the ark. Once Samuel indicated that he was listening, it turned out that Yahweh, had a great deal to say. There was almost nothing in what Yahweh said that Samuel didn't already know or hadn't already suspected. The litany of all the abuses of Hophni and Phinehas were laid out to him, as well as the failures of their father. The dream also told him what the consequences would be. Consequences that Samuel had been fearing for a long time as well. Because he was certain that such deeds could not and should not go unpunished. It was all terrifying to Samuel, of course. He did not want to be the one through whom such messages came. He certainly did not want to be the one to give the message to Eli, who had only ever been kind to him. When the next morning dawned, Samuel was miserable. He tried to just get on with his day, tend to his regular duties. But Eli, blind as he was, could tell that Samuel had received some kind of message. He called the child before him and made him tell him everything, threatening him that if he did not do so, the curses he had heard would fall upon himself. And so Samuel, with tears in his eyes, and a tremor in his voice, answered the old man. And Eli understood that the words were true. Things changed for Samuel after that. The news spread quickly that Samuel had spoken the word of Yahweh and that Eli had received it from him. Even though he was still very young, people began to come to him with their questions and their problems. And Samuel found that answers and insights often came to him as he continued to sleep and dream in the presence of the ark. As time went by and his confidence grew, he found that he didn't always need to wait for any dreams to come. It was enough to sit and meditate for a while in the presence of the ark. And he found himself discerning what the will of Yahweh must be in the various situations that arose. As Samuel grew up, Yahweh was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. The stories about him spread until all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of Yahweh. Yahweh continued to appear at Shiloh, for Yahweh revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of Yahweh. And so people came from far and wide, but they didn't just come to see Samuel. For the ark, which was always present when he gave his oracles, soon became as famous as the prophet himself. It became this tangible symbol that Yahweh truly was with the people of Israel, and people looked upon it with great reverence. One day, a group of goldsmiths appeared at Shiloh. They had been commissioned by a wealthy patrons to add a little something to the wooden chest. Their work was exquisite. When they were done, The wood had almost been completely overlaid with metal, and on the top of the box were now two beautifully sculpted cherubim, mysterious heavenly creatures. Of course, these enhancements only served to make the Ark more of an object of fascination for the people. Nobody referred to it as just any old Ark of Gods anymore. It was the Ark of Yahweh. And people didn't just see it as a symbol of the covenant of mutual defense between the tribes. It was a symbol of the covenant that Yahweh had made with all of the people who worshipped him alone. That they would be his people and that he would be their God. I suggest to you that if we did not have the accounts of the construction of the tabernacle and the making of the Ark of the Covenant, as it is told in the book of Exodus, we would read the opening of the book of Samuel very differently. If the story of the Ark just started with a tale of a young boy who was serving Yahweh at a temple in Shiloh with no prior mentions, we might just have understood the story much like I have told it here. It just started with a box a random box of gods, which is how it is first described. But it grew in stature and in the regard of the people because of the mystical experiences that Samuel had in relation to it. Well, there is a good chance that this story is the older origin story of the Ark of the Covenant. People may well have known it long before that story of the construction of the ark in the wilderness was ever written. And I kind of like the idea that it all started with a piece of sacred furniture that was part of someone's personal experience of God and that it grew from there. After all, isn't that where most of our understandings of God have their beginnings? That is it for the third episode of the eighth season of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. And yes, I will be continuing the Ark's saga. The working title of the next episode is Losers of the Lost Ark. The theme music for the podcast is Ah Da, and for the mood music of this episode, I chose Night Vigil. The music is by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at Incompetech.com. You can contact me on Twitter.com at Retelling Bible, and on the Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. Thanks again to my awesome Patreon supporters who back this podcast. Go to patreon.com slash retellingthebible to support this podcast. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.